Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back into a brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. You know me. My name is Mac, and thanks for coming back for the newest episode. Um, before we get into this week's interview, I want to thank Arlene for last week's episode. Um, such a cool story, and it's so funny. Like, I do a lot of these episodes, and, you know, it's so funny the way we can be like, okay, you tell your story, and then I'm going to tell my story. And she and I both had a, a story last week about when you're sick and when you have COVID and stuff like that, and how just like the narcissist won't take care of you. And it's just so funny how many parallels that there are between all of our stories and like we, how we felt so alone for so long, and then we come back into this, and, and uh, we just realized that like we're all just so similar. So thank you so much to Arlene for last week's episode. If you want to follow her on Instagram, uh, she is at empath underscore glow up. Uh, super cool page, and, and it's a lot about healing. So uh, I'm a big fan of that page. Um, okay, so, you know, I've been talking about this for I think this is my third week. Um, wanted to tell you a little bit about my visit with my kids this morning. Um, so I'm again, and for the first time they came in and they were barely crying. Uh, my son had a little tears in his eyes, but you know, barely, barely. They know that they're coming to see daddy and daddy is fun and they're happy to see daddy. So, uh, yeah, it was great. Um, and so it was funny. I, I took a video well, you know, I, I take a video of when the kids walk in and I just watch the video back. And um, so my supervisor walks in and she said, mom said that they're just getting over little colds and they're sniffling and, uh, you know, they're coughing. So if if they have to blow their nose or something, make sure they, you know, they blow their nose, not suck their boogers back in. Um, but the funny thing is, is I'm watching the, whole, the kids the whole time like, oh, you guys are sick. And they're like, yeah, we're sick. And I'm playing with them and I'm holding them by their hands and we're spinning in circles and I brought a big Bluetooth speaker so we were listening to, you know, songs and having like a dance party and stuff. It's just so crazy that I'm there. But these kids are not coughing. They're not sneezing. They weren't sniffling. They're not anything. And uh, like I said, I took a video of them walking in and, it, and I just watched it back before I, you know, came on the podcast. And um, it's just – Listen, I know like from an outsider looking in, they probably wouldn't understand, right? And they're kids. But what a true manipulator does is they're going to convince the kids that they're sick so that they depend on the narcissist for the healing, 
and my kids were not sick. They displayed zero symptoms of being sick. They didn't seem sick at all. So I don't know why she's telling them that they're sick. It just bothers me. Um, but I asked him about Thanksgiving and happy Thanksgiving to everybody. A happy belated Thanksgiving. Um, I asked my kids about Thanksgiving and, uh, they were like, Oh, it's good. You know, their grandfather came over and I was like, Oh, cool. And I thought that they were going to go to fireman John's house. Um, but they didn't. So, uh, they were like, Oh, it was good. And it was sounded low key. And, um, you know, so whatever. Um, but it was funny. So before they were leaving, I said, what are you guys going to do for the rest of the day? And uh, they said, oh, we're going to Fireman John's house. And I said, oh, okay. I was like, um, what are you going to do there? And they're like, oh, we're just going to play with the kids. And I said, what do Fireman John and Mommy do while you guys are playing? And my son goes, well, they work. And I go, what do they work on? And they're like, oh, well, they're looking for like Christmas gifts and stuff. I was like, oh, I go, are they around when you guys are playing or are they like doing their own thing? And my son's like, oh, they're just doing their own thing. And I was like, do you see them? And he's like, no, not really. And I was like, wow. So it was funny. I called my sister when I got out and I go, hey, listen, I just need to talk about this with somebody. I was like, so you just need to listen to me for a couple minutes. But I called my sister and I go, listen to me. I was like, you can't screenshot words, right? But I was like, I just have to tell somebody this so I can show that I'm right down the line. Mark my words. In the next, I don't know, maybe a month, two months or something, my ex is going to be pregnant again. I'm telling you, I'm going to be talking about it on this podcast. And I said it last time and I'm going to say it now. She's going to be pregnant again. And that doesn't make me feel anything. I feel nothing about that. All I feel is so sorry for Fireman John. And he's going to be coming to me in a couple of years and if I'm still doing this podcast, there will be an episode with podcast. I mean, there'll be an episode with Fireman John, I'm telling you, because she's going to trap him. She's going to trap him. And I feel so bad for him. And it doesn't, you know, I don't care if she gets pregnant. I really don't, you know. Um, it, if anything, it would make me feel good because it'd be like, look, I called it. I know she's a narcissist. Like, I know this is, this is, you know, narcissist 101. So, yeah, um, I just talked to my sister about it and uh, it doesn't affect me negatively uh I just I don't feel anything but kind of just crazy anyway um so yeah it went well and then you know it's always hard I, I've mentioned a lot of times it's always hard to see my kids go so right before they left you know I give them a hug and I, you know I start feeling my heart in my throat and I get choked up and this time on the way out I didn't cry but my son started crying to leave me um which felt actually good to see because he doesn't want to leave his dad because he loves his dad and it's not enough time. And, you know, he's being alienated from a loving parent, which is hard on them too. So anyway, it went really well. Um, they left and I tried not to cry because I want to go on with my day and I don't want to be exhausted because every time I cry, I'm exhausted. Um, so I didn't really. And, uh, yeah, so anyway, that's how it went with my kids. And, um, it's, you know, the visits are going well. That's my point. So anyway, um, I have a really exciting guest for you guys this week. I've been following this guy's content for so long, and uh, it's funny, you know, um, I'm just a guy behind a microphone, but I've reached out to some, you know, pretty notable TikTokers and Instagrammers, and I get these people on this podcast that I've been following for a while, and it, it almost feels like, you know, I know these people because I watch so many of their videos, and uh, 
This is Trey. Trey is an unbelievably cool um, story where, once again, I can see a lot of parallels from my story to Trey's story. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy it and uh, check it out. All right, everybody. Welcome back into a brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. So I am super stoked about the guest that I have today. I've been following this guy's content for a long time. Um, his name is Trey. I found him on Instagram. Trey, say hi to everybody. Hey, y'all. <laughs> um, so Trey is on Instagram. His Instagram handle, if you want to follow him, it it's I was like yo underscore Trey. Trey is T-R-E-Y and the number one. So again, that's I was like yo underscore Trey with the number one. Uh, Trey has this content on his Instagram post where I follow him. He's also got over 100,000 followers on TikTok. Um, but this guy's content, what I like so much about it is that like, you feel like you're listening to a friend. He talks to you very directly, very honestly, and uh, it just feels like you're listening to a friend. And um, everything about him is very humbling, you know, like it's very cool. It's very like down to earth. So um, there's a couple of things that I wanted to mention that he does. He uh, he has a course called Breaking Free from Rumination. Um, also how to reclaim your peace and clarity after narcissistic abuse. So you can go to Trey Delatore at podia.com. So it's T-R-E-Y-D-E-L-A-T-O-R-R-E at podia.com. That's P-O-D-I-A.com. And then he's also coming out with a book that's called The Wellness Wheel Journey. And it's a journey to a balanced you. And you can find that on, on Amazon. And then all his resources are also um, in the link in his bio. Um, so if you want to rewind that 10 seconds back, you can go and catch it. And I'll say it again at the end of the episode. But Trey, thanks so much for doing this with us. Absolutely. I really appreciate you having me on. It's very exciting to kind of explore a different avenue with podcasts and stuff so i'm excited to be here yeah you're like i said your stuff on tiktok and on instagram is just like it's just so honest and straightforward and like i feel like i know you it's weird i feel like i know you yeah um so i want to try on uh because you know he has his a lot of stuff that he a lot of the content he puts out is a lot about healing um but a lot of us don't know trey's story so directly so um, I asked uh, Trey to come on. I don't know what you're willing to touch on. Um, I don't know where you're willing to start, but it's kind of your show. So where do you want to get started? Uh, so it's always interesting when I tell my story, because I think for in order for my story to make sense, I kind of have to back up, honestly, to um, when I was a preteen, like 10, 11, 12 years old, because that's when that's when a lot of things started that even got me set up to accept this kind of behavior from an individual. You know, I, I do one-on-one coaching with people too. And one of the things that I tell them is that it's coaching is very different than therapy. Like they work really well together, but therapy is really important because it helps answer that question. How did I get here? Like what, what happened to me throughout my life or young adult life or, or childhood that allowed me to think that this was okay, allowed me to accept this kind of abuse from someone and not recognize that as well that it's even abuse yeah and i feel like also it can act as like a compass for your future life like whatever relationship it may be like whether it's friends or co-workers or romantically or whatever it can act as a compass for your for you know your future oh yeah i totally agree because this kind of like narcissistic and emotionally abusive relationships they're not discriminatory to just romantic relationships like no. at all yeah. no. uh, 
that was the fun discovery. Once I started realizing what it was, it's like, damn, I'm surrounded by these people. <laughs> like, <laughs> I actually, I have a cousin. I have a cousin who wants to do an episode with me. Who's dying to do it about his narcissistic boss. Um, but oh, I'm just yeah. afraid of having him on because I don't want to like, you know, his <laughs> job in jeopardy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, being in the work environment is very, very common too, but, um, but yeah, that's why, that's why I feel like therapy is so important and coaching is kind of more about like the day to day, like how to move forward from this. So they work really well hand in hand in hand. But so I, you know, I'm, I'm from Texas. I'm from the, the Bible belt, you know, grew up in a very, honestly, I grew up in a very, at a great home. Like, you know, I, a lot of people that I talk to, they have a story about, you know, a toxic home environment is not uncommon for people that have survived this. That was not my story. Um, I had great parents. I had food on the table. Like, you know, I never really wanted for anything. Um, we weren't rich by any means, but we weren't, you know, we weren't poor either. Like I, I, I had a good upbringing. Um, but <laughs> when you're raised in the Bible belt and before you even hit puberty age, you're learning that there's a particular demographic of people that are not accepted into the kingdom of heaven and they're damned for hell. And in case you haven't figured it out, I'm talking about the queer community. Um, and when you hit the age of puberty and you start to have these feelings, you immediately start to feel like something is wrong with you. Mm -hmm. And I started to channel this feeling that something was wrong to I needed other people's approval because as a young kid who was starting to have these, what I called at the time struggles, um, you inherently feel broken and, you know, kids are mean. And even though I wasn't out, I was bullied, was called all the slanders. Um, you know, and I went to a very small Christian school, like there was 20 people in my class. So I felt like a little bit of an outsider that I didn't know where I belonged in this very small limited circle. Um, and that's when a lot of the, the mental issues started with just that needing approval from other people, just that acceptance. Um, and then on top of that, when I hit 12 years old, I had a chunky kid stage. So I was a little bit heavier on top of that too. So I didn't look like the football players. I didn't look like the basketball players. You know, even though I played sports, it, it's weird. I don't understand my body because I was I was an active kid, and it's not like we ate unhealthy at my house, but just something that I just ballooned when I was 12, and that's when my body image issues also started too. So you know what? I'm I'm listening to you, and and correct me if I'm wrong because I don't I don't know, but for me anyway, I can only speak to my experience. Did you have any feelings of like um kind of like letting things slide because you said you grew up in the Bible belt. Did you feel like, you know, you were like overly nice or like overly hospitable to certain people? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I would I would say I don't know if overly hospitable is, the, is how I would phrase it, but I definitely accepted things that I shouldn't have accepted from people. Like I allowed people to walk over me because I was too busy being nice. Right. And it's like that's what I'm getting at. 
Yeah. And I, there's a very big difference between being kind and being nice. Um, and I didn't realize that till I was an adult. You can treat people with kindness, but also expect respect and in return, you know, and, and hopefully our boundaries are strong enough for that now. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> that's the challenge. Um, so, you know, I, I grew up and, and I just continue to identify these feelings that I had as my struggle. And I, I, you know, I dated girls and I got into college and I met an amazing woman who quickly became like a best friend to me. And um, that's the kind of relationship that we had. I genuinely had very strong feelings for her. I still say to this day, like I I hold a lot of love in my heart for her. Um, We got married. We had three kids together. And even though our love was never a lie, it just wasn't the only truth. And it just got to the point where I couldn't deny who I was anymore. I'd spent 15 years praying for the gay to go away and it just wouldn't, no matter how many altar calls, no matter how many hands were laid on my head, <laughs> no matter what what was done, it just wasn't going away. And so I I came out, my my wife and I decided to to separate, and two weeks later, I met a guy. And you have to understand, like not being a part of the queer community and, and the gay community specifically, uh, all I knew was stigmas. And the stigmas that I knew was that monogamy was not a thing, that I was 28 years old, so I was considered old in the gay community, so dating was going to be hard. Um, that Why having monogamy kid, not a thing? Because there is a stigma in the gay community that open relationships are more the norm than monogamy. Okay. And, that, and not that that's necessarily, it definitely exists. I don't know if I would say it's the majority, I say it's the majority in the gay scene, but not necessarily the gay population. And there's a difference. Um, So that's all that I knew. Um, And, you know, that having kids was going to be a turnoff because, you know, we wouldn't be able to just do whatever we wanted when we wanted and et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I meet this guy two weeks after I'm coming out. My my life around me is falling apart. Like I'm letting my family down. I'm, I'm hurting a woman that, you know, didn't deserve to be hurt. And she and I are great now. Like there's been a lot of atonement and honest conversations and we have a great, great co-parenting relationship, still really good friends. Um, but you know, we were figuring out our new norm and I was a worship pastor at the church at the time and I didn't even get a conversation. I was just taken off of the schedule. So I was ghosted by my church. Um, it was, there was a lot of turmoil going on in my life, which I knew was going to happen. Um, I don't know if so in my early episodes of the podcast, I'm seeing a parallel between you and I, because it's funny, right? And and we're not the only people I've heard this from, but like right before you meet your narc, for some reason, you're like going through a transitional period. Mm -hmm. Good or bad. Yeah. And then like that's Mm -hmm. for some reason when they scoop in because you're kind of about self-improvement and like in your case, Mm -hmm. you're, you're about being who you truly are. And then they swoop in to take advantage of that. Yeah. And in my my case, I because there was so much turmoil, you know, I I was also filled with fear. I did not want to go through all of this to end up alone because I could have stayed in a relatively I mean, I wasn't unhappy in my marriage. You know, it just wasn't necessarily fulfilling for both of us, but I wasn't unhappy. And so it's like, you know, I don't want to go through all this just to end up alone when I could have stayed in a happy relationship. You know, we had we had the house and we had the kids and, you know, we, I mean, picture perfect life and, you know, 
I didn't want to go through all this and give all of that up just to end up alone. So I meet I this like guy. The, I like how you rolled the dice on yourself. You bet on yourself. Yeah. You bet on your own <laughs> happiness, which I like that. It's commendable. Well, thank you. Um, and so I, I meet this guy and he literally is speaking to every fear that I have. You know, he's like, I want monogamy. I want the house. I want the white picket fence and the dog in the yard. And I want babies to love on, even if they're not my own. And he's literally telling me everything that I hadn't even told to him was my fears, but he was just, he was literally affirming, Oh, I found exactly what I'm looking for. Um, but in my mind, it was still hard to find. So I had myself convinced like, Oh, this guy's a dime a dozen. How far out of your relationship from your marriage ending to meeting him? And how did you guys meet? My marriage wasn't even officially ended yet. Okay. But it so was, you were on my, the way. It, we we were yes we we were in the process of separating it was two weeks after we had decided to get divorced so that's kind of the other thing um that my family also and and that is a, well <laughs> kind of going in two different two directions in my mind at once oh, it oh, you don't worry. <laughs> um but i number one that's like my biggest regret in this whole thing. I should have waited. I should have waited till the divorce was final. I should have waited until my life was settled before trying to get into another relationship. I didn't allow closure to happen with one thing before I started another. And that is a big responsibility that I take in, in this relationship um, is because that I should have, first of all, I should have given her that respect. And second of all, I should have given myself that time to heal and bring closure to a big chapter of my life before I tried to open another one fully. But but you were being sold but, a bill of goods from him, being yeah. told that he wanted, like you said, he wanted the yeah. white picket fence life, and he wanted the monogamy, and he wanted the kids to love on, even if it wasn't his. So mm-hmm. you can't really be blamed for, you know, he's checking your boxes. What are you supposed to do, say no? Well, it was another way of rolling the dice. It's like, okay, do I wait and hope that this person's still around after the divorce is final or find someone else or do I just go with it now and try to figure it out and here's what's crazy he wasn't just love bombing me he was love bombing her too I mean he wanted to be like her best friend and he wanted to go on girls dates and like all this stuff like he was in the process of winning her over just as much as he was winning me over wow um yeah I'm I'm actually gonna do an interview with her on my social media too because it wasn't until a while after our relationship ended that I found out there were a whole separate conversations going on with him and her that I was not aware of. And he would tell me something totally different than he was telling her. So not only was he trying to win her over him, trying to drive a wedge between the two of us started at the very beginning as well. But you didn't realize it at the very beginning. No. You thought, you thought this was, Oh, this is great. He's being yeah. nice to her too. And I, mm-hmm. and you're thinking I heard her. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's being nice to her. So what more could you right. ask for? Exactly. It was like, you know, oh, we're going to have a great co-parenting environment and, you know, all this stuff. Like, you know, it was just, my God, I was so intoxicated by it all. Um, so and that that's kind of how I got started into this relationship. And it was and if I'm honest, it was very rocky um, from the get go when it came to um just like the emotional side of things it was very up and down there was a lot of extremes there's extreme highs for him extreme lows for him and the lows would either be um sob fests or rage fests um 
And how long, it, how long into the relationship did he start having the lows? Like, cause usually it's, it's like a good build up. Like you're going all the way up the mountain and then it crashes. So like, how long did that last <laughs> the build up, the love bombing? <clears throat> Couple weeks, honestly, that's it. Um, the, I always say that the bookends of our relationship were really rough. The first three months were really rough and the last five months were really bad. Um, but again, I was fed this story by him that I don't know how much of it is true or not. Um, you know, that he he came from an abusive relationship and his ex-husband was physically abusive and cheated on him all the time. And, you know, his mom left him when he was a kid and he was bounced around from house to house and his family and life just has been so hard for him and like all this and all this. So for me, in my mind, it's like, well, he just doesn't know how to have a healthy confrontation he doesn't know what a healthy relationship looks like but i can show that to him like i can be that person for him if i'm just patient if i'm just understanding if i just hold on to it i can be that for him um and that was the the story that i was really buying into was and and ironically it's it's a little bit narcissistic of myself because it's like uh well i don't know if narcissistic definitely a little bit egotistical but like Oh, I can save him. Like I can show him what healthy looks like. Um, Dude, so many of us feel that way. Like I had the same situation. Yeah. She tried telling me that like her boyfriend used to beat her up, and I told on one of my early early episodes. She used to like pop up like like a vampire, like rigor mortis style in the bed, and like have this panic attack that she was getting abused in her sleep but i think she knew that i was still awake so that's why she was doing it and i used Mm -hmm. to hug her and comfort her and go no you're okay it's me you're okay i'm here for you i would never do that to you and like now i'm like wait you're the Mm -hmm. abuser yeah how did that happen unless you learn the abuse from him but i don't i can't i don't even i don't even get the whole story anymore and i don't think it really matters yeah yeah it's the same thing with me it's like you know, yeah, I would like to know what was true and what wasn't. I, I, there were some things that were confirmed by his best friend and his family that there obviously were some issues, but I don't, it, it, and you know, he was so good at giving enough of a truth and then cloaking it with a lie to where it was like, there was believability to what he was saying, but it was so far-fetched at the same time. It's like, well, I, you know, I remember saying this all the time after listening to him. I'm like, well, I guess that can be true. You know, because there's enough of it that was true. Yeah, I always think there's 10 lies and there's one truth. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what you can't, you don't know. You don't know. You, right. The needle in a haystack. You don't know. It's the 10% truth that you don't yeah. know. Yeah. And it was just, it was the definition of deceitful, really. It was deceit and personification. And, um, you know, I had, <laughs> I had so many people telling me, just different things that they had observed. You know, the biggest red flag for most of my family was, you know, and and they were saying, you know, I'm concerned at what it speaks to him and his character that he's trying to enter this serious relationship with someone that's still married. And my response to them was, well, whatever you're saying about him, you have to say about me because I'm also entering into the relationship. And that kind of silenced them when it came to that, where it's like, you know, you can't hold him to a standard that you're not willing to hold me to at the same time. Um, and so I kind of brushed it off. I'm like, you know, no, this is the gay thing. This has nothing to do with that. Like, that's the story that I was kind of telling myself, but he was also buying into. Um, we had a really, we call my (laughs) ex-wife and I to this day still call it dark Monday. There was a three months into the relationship. He had his worst, worst rage episode. Like I'm talking, things were being thrown 
he was drunk. It was like 1.30 in the morning, and he he got in his car. And one of the things I forgot to mention was when we met, we met on we met online in um, kind of a three hours away from where I lived. So he was out of town. And again, just the rapid pace of the relationship. Within a month, he was moving to where I was. Um, well, that that dark Monday night, he, he was drunk in, like I said, 1.30 in the morning. And he got in his car and was driving back um, to where he was from. And that was actually the first time that I broke up with him because I remember calling him saying, don't come back, like after that and don't come back. And I let him kind of sweet talk his way into things. And, well, you know, if we're going to make this work, it's going to be so much harder if I'm three hours away. So the only way that this could possibly work is if I come back. And I'm like, okay, well, if you come back, then this and I laid out some some criteria like these all things have to be done. Like you you clearly need some help and I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not telling you to get on medication. I'm not telling you to get get counseling, but I'm telling you, you need to do something and I will support you in whatever you do. But something's not right. You know, I don't know if it's the trauma of your past relationship. You know, I don't know what it is. Um, Was there something it turned that triggered his rage out? No. So what I found out the night that he left um, because I called his his best friend that he was driving to, who lived three hours away. So by the time he got there, it was gonna be like four o'clock in the morning. And I said, you know, I just wanted to let you know he's driving to your house right now. And she was like, well, what the hell happened? So I told her, and she <laughs> she was like, has he been taking his medication? And I was like, what medication? And she's like, well, you know, his bipolar medication. And there was just this silence, and I was like. He never told me he had bipolar. And that was when I revealed or it was revealed to me that he had bipolar. And I don't I don't talk about that part super often because I'm not about stigmatizing people that do have mental health issues and mental illness. But I also know I have family members that have bipolar and live a very functional life because they they know it's a serious thing and they're and they take care of it. The thing with him was he wasn't willing to take ownership of his mental illness and really actually work on it. Mm-hmm. So do I think that all people that are bipolar act this way? No. But for him, he just wouldn't take ownership over over his own mental illness. And that that's where the problem was for me. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's you're triggering me a little bit because I've been gaslit you know, from an early, in my early episodes, I told how my ex said that I was bipolar and tried to get me medicated for being bipolar. And uh, it was just being, you know, poked and prodded at and backed into a corner all the time. Um, But I, I steadfastly denied that I was bipolar. I just knew that I was being abused, but I Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to handle it. And it would send me fucking crazy. So you're triggering me now because I'm like, fuck, did I not take accountability for my bipolar? But I really don't think I am. And I've had a psychiatric evaluation. I'm not bipolar. I'm got wicked CPTSD, yeah. though. Well, and and I remember I felt bipolar in the relationship. And that was something that he would tell me, too. Like, maybe you should go talk to someone, you know, because when you get pushed to this this breaking point, you know, a, a human can only take so much. You know, and that and that is what reactive abuse is, you know, so. Um, so when you laid those ground rules for him, like I need this, I need that. What were the ground rules that you laid for him? And then how did he react? to that? Pretty much the ground rules. Yeah. So pretty much the ground rules were that he needed to go see someone. And again, I wasn't 
I, I didn't tell him he had to get on medication. I said, you just need treatment. Like, you, you know, you, you have an actual like condition and, mm-hmm. and look, you struck the gold mine. Like I'm a dude that will literally go to every appointment with you and hold your hand. Like I am not, I am not anti-mental illness. I know it's a real thing, but at the same time, I have children and I have to protect them. And if you do that in front of my kids, that is going to scar them and scare them. And I don't want that for you or for them. Right. Um, and so I just said, I don't care what the treatment is. I, it just, something needs to be done. Like, cause what you're doing is clearly not working. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the thing is he did all of them. Like he, he did every single thing I asked him to. And that sustained for, uh, I'm trying to think of the timeline. It was less than a year. It was probably like maybe eight months. Cause we were together for 18 months. We lived together for 10 of those. Wow. Um, so we moved to get so during this time where he's doing everything because I, you know, was not going to move in with him until I started seeing these things. And it was probably six months of him keeping his word. There was still a lot of lying going on, though. Um, so even though even though things were better, things were never good. Like there was still a lot of lying. There was still a lot of, you know. Wedges being tried to pull. He he was very adamant about making my divorce ugly and just you know you don't ever and just making it all about him and how like her actions like I needed to defend him to her and like all this stuff and he just kept inserting himself into our divorce it was very weird and he was weird but, because you guys were like <clears throat> relatively on good terms right like you we, were on yeah. a path to healing and he like you said he was trying to have like those dates with her so i don't yeah. understand like why he was trying to interject him into <clears throat> well into divorce because after dark monday she wanted nothing to do with him because mm. she saw him for who he really was and yeah. even though she never tried to convince me to end things she had her own boundaries because of how he acted yeah. and and rightfully so it's kind of like the cloak came off for her and the or not the cloak but the you know the wool off of her yeah, eyes came it. off that day but not but for did me. you did you feel it was rightfully so when she was doing it or did you get mad at her i got mad at her because yeah, i mean you know because i got i got mad at her because it was like for my own reasons because it's like okay if i can forgive him like you need to also but the other part of it was it's like, but he was fueling that fire too. Like he and I both played a role in that. Um, and he would again have these separate conversations with her and then come to me and twist them around and try to poke at me, like almost poke the beast with me when it came to like, if I was upset with her, instead of trying to offer a different perspective, like, well, see it from this point of view, he would fuel it and, and just explode about it. Yeah, but then think about it from your ex-wife's point of view, right? My husband just left me, three kids. Mm-hmm. He just told me he's gay. He goes to this new man. The man's not treating him right. He feels bad, but, like, then why didn't he just stay with me? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, your poor yeah. wife. She she and I had a conversation. Um, It was about four months. It was right when I kind of started to wake up a little bit not a whole lot but a little bit to what was going on little did i know at this point he was already cheating on me so it's four months before oh, we shit. broke up mm-hmm. it's four months before we broke up 
because we moved together in December. He was cheating on me by December. I mean, I'm sorry. We moved together in September. He was cheating on me by December. And this conversation that she and I had was in January. Wow. And she just she had tears in her eyes. I could see that she was genuine. And she just said the whole purpose of you coming out and, and restructuring our family was so you could live in your truth and you could be fully happy. And my concern is I just don't see that happening with him because every time he what she said was every time he walks in the room, you immediately go into a shadow. And that is not the trade that I know. And Trey, like I'm as I'm looking at you, I'm just thinking, like, I feel so bad for you because you didn't mean to hurt her. You no. want the best for him. And you're caught in the middle being pulled on from both sides. Yeah, yeah I can completely feel that's like literally how it felt and like I still get like I get emotional thinking about it because it was just like I was in such a lose-lose like it just that's what it that's what it felt and yeah and I remember when she when she said that to me you know it was because I do know that she she knows me like and she and she she knows what I was capable of. You know, she was just like the trade that I know walks into a room and he lights it up and he changes the atmosphere of the room. She's like, you walk into a room with him and she's like, you're quiet. You hang out in the background. She was like, you, you're not you. And the moment that he leaves, you're back to you again. And it was just, and here's what's crazy. She had that conversation with me first. Fast forward four more weeks. My dad and I are driving to go see some family. My dad says the exact same thing to me. And so much so that I look at him, at him and I'm like, did you ever have a to the screen for people who can't see? You're giving me goosebumps, bro. <laughs> I, I just I looked at him. I was like, did you and her talk? And he's like, and he's like, no, I actually haven't talked to her in like six weeks. And I'm just like, OK. And he, <laughs> and he was like, why? That's like no reason. Because I mean, verbatim, they said the exact same thing. Jeez. And. And my dad that wouldn't must lie. Have been like a like, light bulb over your Yeah, head. I mean, you know, my my dad would have told me if they talked. Like he just would have. So yeah, when when he told me the same thing, I was like, okay, I need to I need to reevaluate. Or at least start getting real with myself. And I just remember I started to ask myself, like, okay, am I really happy in this? Like, what's the deal? What What is the issue? Blah, blah, blah. I remember calling one of my best friends, and I was like, I just feel like I live with an overgrown teenager. Like, everything is always my fault. You know, he can't accept his own – like, he can't take accountability. Like, you know, I'll ask him, like, why are you talking to me this way? And it's, well, I have an attitude because you have an attitude, when I know for a fact I don't have an attitude. You know, or, you know, he was – um his rage episodes kind of started to come back. This is all in the last five months, you know, um, the rage episode started to come back again. He actually had a mini rage episode in front of my children, which was like a hard boundary for me because I couldn't hold boundaries for myself very well, but I could hold boundaries for my kids very well. Sure. Um, I've always been much, much better at protecting my kids' hearts than my own, um, <clears throat> which that's kind of a whole separate topic, but, um, you know, it was just like, it was just things were starting to get worse again. And I remember this one time <laughs> I was looking for an old, like a pair of, like, I, it was back when iPhone changed their, their phone and you had to have the adapter to use the old headphones, right? You know what I'm talking about. I was looking for that adapter and I had this bag in my nightstand um, that had like all my old like phones and headphones and like all this stuff in it. So I went through that bag to try to find my adapter 
And he came home from work one day and he's just, you know, if you know, you know, when they just walk in and you just know it's not going to be a good day. Um, I hated that. I hated not knowing what version of him was going to come home that day. My ex used to pull in from work. I worked from home at the time and my ex used to pull in and she'd pull into the driveway and I could feel any piece that I had just leave my body and go, mm-hmm. fuck, I just have to survive like the next six or seven yep. hours. Just like shit. Yeah. And I remember he just, he started like popping off at me and just, you know, again, doing his little, just being ugly. It's just the best way I can describe it. He was just being ugly. And I was like, why are you talking to me? You know, like this, like what's wrong? And he said, you used your old phone. And I remember looking at him like he lost his – I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, your old phone. You, your your old phone is in a different spot today than it was yesterday. And I'm still confused as to what he's talking about. And then he opens my nightstand drawer with that bag that I went through looking for my adapter. And he said, your old phone is in a different spot than it was yesterday, so who the F are you talking to? And I was like, you sat there and watched me look for the adapter – for my phone, for my headphones, like what, like, and it just, I was like, okay, first of all, this dude is like watching me. Like if he knew that my phone was in a different spot from the previous day, he either just is really watching me that closely, or he just actually does remember me looking for this adapter and he's creating this whole story about how I'm cheating on him. Dude, do you, did you, I assume that you've seen that movie from the 1940s, Gaslight? Actually, no, I haven't. You should. It's on YouTube. Doesn't matter. There's a part in the thing where, in the movie, where he hides the woman's necklace and convinces her that he lost it. And you're like mirroring the originality of Gaslight right now. Yeah, it, it, it was the weirdest conversation that I've ever had. And, and I mean, it got so it got so bad that I just remember I dropped to the floor bawling because I was just like, I don't know how to convince you. I just remember saying, I don't know how to convince you that nothing's going on. And I just lost. How do I convince you of something that didn't happen? Right. That didn't happen. And, and that you watched happen. You sat, I asked you, do you know where the adapter is? You were here. Like what, like he, he just literally, he either was doing this intentionally or he had created his own reality that he fully believed and there was no reasoning him out of it. Ooh, that's so scary. And, and it is, but he did that with so many things. Like he told me he was in the military for four years. Like my, my, <laughs> I have a really close family friend that's actively in the military. Looked him up. He didn't make it past his first year, which means he probably didn't pass basics. But this dude tells stories about his military days. Like, fully believes these stories. It's scary that they really truly live in their own alternate reality and they have lied so much and told the story over and over and over again that they truly believe that it happens and there's no convincing them that it did not happen like and he did that with everything every single person listening to this right now can relate to that oh yeah because that is the foundation of gaslighting gaslighting is created because whether it's intentional or not you know it, it is created because people cannot live in a reality that they have to accept responsibility for the situation that they're in. So they, they create an alternate version of reality to escape responsibility. And that is gaslighting. Yeah. And that's what bugs me so much now is like when, like, cause you say, Oh, I was gaslit and people like roll their eyes and like, Oh, get a grip. It's you're so, you know, 2020 dramatic over it. Mm. But like, 
no, like that, that story you just told, like, didn't fucking happen. You know, like that didn't happen. And like, that's extreme because like, we're talking about an extender for a phone. Like, Mm -hmm. what if this was something real? What if this is like life and death situation? How could I rely on this person? Yeah, absolutely. And so that happened probably like a month or two before it finally ended. So to fast forward to the end, there was a day where he actually got into a horrible argument with my ex-wife, not even with me, but with my ex-wife. And I mean, he's just blowing up my phone about it all day. I'm at work. It's a very busy day at work. It's Memorial Day weekend at the time I worked in retail. Um, And it's me and one other person I mean, we're getting our asses handed us at work. And I keep trying to tell him, I, I literally cannot deal with this right now. Like, I, ju- I just need the two of y'all to chill out, figure this out, blah, blah, blah. And he's just, he will not stop. Like, he is literally rapid fire texting my phone. And instead of, you know, like my ex-wife came, he actually came up to my work because she was so upset. She talked to me about it a little bit. I was like, look, I kind of calmed her down. I was like, try saying this to him, you know. I, I don't think he understands this, blah, 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 blah. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it just, it just got worse. And he's texting me saying, this bitch is never allowed in our home again. And this and like being completely derogatory and disrespectful to my kid's mom, which was a big deal for me. Like, at the end of the day, I don't care how you feel about her. She's my kid's mom. You will not call her names and you will not disrespect her. And he constantly violated that throughout the whole relationship. It's kind of one of those things like I'm allowed to be mad at her and I'm allowed to say whatever I want to say, but you can't, you know what I mean? And like, and, and, and he was calling her things that I could never imagine calling her, you know, and all all the time and not necessarily to her face. Like he wouldn't do it to her face, but he would do it around me. And it still just made me so uncomfortable because it was like, okay, if you are willing to do this around me, you're going to do it to her one day. You know, because well, so like cool. you, you and, and your ex-wife, like you guys didn't end things on like contentious terms. No. Like you wanted legitimately you wanted the best for her, but you wanted yeah. to pursue your own future. And um, yeah, like that's and he was making that line. impossible. He, I mean, he was way over the line. Yeah, he was making it impossible because what she and I had said was we've always been each other's best friend before anything else. We were each other's best friend before we were each other's boyfriend, girlfriend, then before fiancés, then before husband and wife. We were best friends first. And what we were trying to do was figure out how we can keep maybe not best friends, because at some point, you know, there's a level of appropriateness when we start seeing other people. But how can we keep as much of the best friend as possible, but take the husband and wife part out? And he made it impossible for us to figure that out. And it should have it should have clicked with me how much he was the problem, because she and I had always been such a good team and and we could always figure things out and we just couldn't figure this one out. And now that what? he's go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say, and and it was literally within two two months of him leaving, we were able to start figuring things out. And well, we've maybe get, before you get to that though, hold on, let me ask yeah. you a question. What was it that was keeping you trying to make the relationship work with him? Yeah. So the answer to that question, it was two things. Number one, it was the fear of being alone. I did not want to go through all this to end up alone. Number two, this was probably like the week before I I was finally done. Maybe a little bit more than that. Um, Before 
the the night I kicked him out, which I'll finish that in a second. But I realized I truly felt like I deserved the treatment I was getting from him because of how I hurt her. In my mind, I was a piece of shit human for what I did to her. And I deserved everything that I was getting. And he was my karma. And then if you quit on this relationship, then quitting on your marriage would have been for nothing. That and it was just it was my inability to forgive myself for what I did. So I finally was like, okay, if she's able to forgive me, the person that I hurt, if she can forgive me, you know, I'm I still identify as a Christian. I know that God God forgives me. So if everybody else can forgive me, then why can't I forgive myself? And that that really began the journey of me having enough self-worth and enough self-value to to realize, like, I, I'm worth more than than what he's capable of giving me at all. And why am I such an empath, man? I fucking like, feel your story. I like, feel your story. Like, as it's happening, I'm sitting here like nobody can see us, but I'm like shaking my head. I'm, like, fuck, I feel this so hard. Go ahead. So the the night that he had this argument with her, you know, instead of coming home to resolve things like a mature adult, he went out and partied with his friends. I, you know, at the time, <laughs> at the like time, I thought, like a mature adult. Um, I thought it was just drinking at the time. And there's a lot of suspicion that there was more uh, that was going on. But he came home and he was just belligerent. Like I, I, I could, I can't even describe to you what I saw. And I had seen him drunk many, many times. He was, something was off. Something was just very, very off. And it was kind of the same song and dance. He's just going through being an ass and like all this stuff. And I, I asked him, why are you talking to me this way? He leapt out of bed at me and ended up had me backed into a corner. He was spitting on me. He was screaming at the top of his lungs. His eyes were completely black. His fist was balled up. Like I said, I've seen rage from him before, but I had never felt like the rage was going to come at me. His behavior was scary, but I had never felt like physically in danger until that day. And I'm just very grateful that that was the one boundary for myself I was able to hold because I I just I knew in that moment it was pure fight or flight. If I don't do something right now, I'm going to get hurt. And I just. I got back right in his face and I said, get the F out of my house. And he did after breaking a bunch of shit, packing up his stuff and all this and all this. And, you know, I, that was the day where I, I was able to, for the first time since meeting him say, I am worth more than what he can give me. Hell yeah. And I, and here's what's funny up to this point, I still didn't click that I was in an abusive relationship. That didn't come till the next day when I asked him to I allowed him to come back and get his clothes. And, you know, of course, he doesn't remember anything he did naturally um, because he was just so drunk. No, you remember exactly what you did. But I also made sure to leave the house exactly how he left it so he could see what he did, because I knew he was going to pull the hole. I don't remember anything. So it's like, well, let me remind you. (laughs) So I literally didn't touch anything. And we start talking about the night before. And I just said, you know, what if the kids had been here? You know, and he was like, well, you know, if the kids were here, I wouldn't have acted that way. And I just said, is that supposed to comfort me? Because what you just admitted was that you love and respect the kids enough to not act like a buffoon, but you don't love and respect me enough to not. And that was the first thing he said. And the second thing he said was, 
well, if you had just defended me to her, I wouldn't have acted that way. And I remember back in undergrad taking my psychology classes because I was a psych major learning about physically abusive relationships and how they always blamed the victim saying, well, you know how I get mad. So why would you make me mad? And making phrases like that. And that was the moment that it finally clicked with me. Oh my God, this is, this is not an emotionally immature relationship. I've been emotionally abused for 18 months and I held it together while he was still there. But the moment that he left, I broke, like I just broke down, um, immediately called my therapist. I was like, I'm still in shock, but I know I'm going to need therapy, all this stuff. Two weeks later, figured out that he had been cheating on me the last five months. That was honestly when I had, and I had no idea. Like that was the, that was when the actual, any layer of facade that was still left on him was shattered that moment because that was. Find out he was cheating on you. All right, I was you don't scared. have to get into uh, it. Yeah, you know, no, no, it's okay. I'll t- I posted on TikTok already, so I'll just tell the story. There's, so people, there's people who are going to relate to it. Know that. Oh, well, I don't know. I found out because um, <laughs> it's a little embarrassing. <laughs> it's a little embarrassing. So it was like two weeks after the breakup. I'm looking for some post-breakup distraction, if you know what I mean. So I invite this random person over. He has no idea who I am. Nothing about my background doesn't know I just broken up with someone. And he walks into my house and he's seen my house before. He recognized my coffee table. He recognized my bathroom. He recognized my house. Whoa. And I, yeah. And at first I was like, at first he was like, I really feel like I've been here before. And I was like, well, this is a rental like you might have been, you know, but I've been here since September, so I doubt it. And he's like, no, I recognize your coffee table. Now, mind you, my coffee table was my grandmother's that she bought in like the in, in like the Philippines back in like the 70s. This isn't like some shit you can get at Ikea. OK, so like he recognized my furniture and then he looks at me and he goes, did a tall blonde guy that used to sell cars used to live here? And I think he had an ex-wife and kids. So this dude was on Grinder using my story, saying he had an ex-wife and kids and was inviting. He said that he saw him on Grinder all the time, like for the last uh. like he said, yeah, uh, it, he was. And this guy was so sweet. I and mean, he answered all my questions when he realized what was happening. Well, I imagine just, the story that your ex-boyfriend sold him. I mean, yeah, he's mm-hmm. using your story like, you know, but. Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. God. He's like, I. We hooked up like in December or January. Mind you, this is June when this is conversation was taking place. And he's like, I saw him on Grinder all the time. Imagine that guy pulling up to your house to meet you and then being <laughs> like, I feel like I've been here. Before. Been here before. Yeah, it was very awkward. <laughs> very awkward. Uh, Man. But you know what? I I needed that to happen. I found out about three, uh, three people. Uh, I'm sure it was way more than that. Um, I needed that to happen because that, like I said, shattered the image that I created of him. Because the one thing I actually truly believed that he would not do was cheat because he used to feed me the story about how his ex-husband cheated on him and he could never do that to someone. And it was the only time that I really felt like he was genuine. Um, And so when I was like, wow, because everything else I figured out, nothing really surprised me. I'm like, well, that doesn't surprise me too much. That I was like, God bless. Nothing he said was true. And I didn't know this person at all. 
I hope everybody listening to this right now feels exactly the way I do, but I'm like looking at you going, thank God this guy's out of this shit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And that's when my journey really started. Uh, I mean, it, it was just this sheer, I mean, and I had it all. I had the obsessive thinking. I wanted to know what he was doing. I was cyber stalking him. I was figuring out where he was, who he was with. I was, I was a freaking mess. I couldn't, I couldn't come home from work without just bawling, you know, cause I was in the house that he and I lived in. Um, and it just, it got to this point where I, you know, sometimes when we hear the phrase like, wow, they really let themselves go. We associate that with weight. And I let myself go in every aspect. I had gained weight. I had stopped doing things that were meaningful to me. I was not spending time with my my friends, you know, my relationship with my kid's mom was extremely tumultuous. You know, my my relationship with my parents was strained because they hated him. I mean, they never made him feel unwelcome. I will give them that credit. My parents are amazing. They hated him. They were waiting for me to wake up. <laughs> Have you been able to mend these relationships now? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, You know, just to go to show how incredible my kid's mom is, she was there the next day. And at her time, at the time, they're married now. It was her no, they were engaged. They were engaged at this point. So it was her fiance. They were coming to my house to make sure I ate. They, ooh, I'm going to get emotional talking about this. Do it. You know, they, okay. <laughs> take, a, take your time. They had, they had every reason in the world to not, you know, but they did because they, they, I think they knew, they knew what I was struggling with and they knew that they knew that this wasn't me. And, um, I mean, they were, they, they were, I would walk into their house to pick up the kids and, and her fiance's now husband, he would look at me and be like, when's the last time you ate? Cause I wasn't eating. I lost like 15 pounds in 10 days. And he was like, when's the last time you ate? And if it took me longer than three seconds, he would hand me his phone and like DoorDash anything you want. You're not leaving here until you eat. And um, so it's like, there was just so much beauty that came from this complete disaster, you know? And um, it allowed me to, really ask myself the hard questions of what do I want out of life? Like, what do I, who do I want to be? Is this, you know, I'm, I never want to go through this again. I'd rather spend the rest of my life alone than do this. So how do I prevent this from happening again? And it's what led me to apply for grad school. And now I'm about to finish a doctorate degree. It's what, you know, allowed me to, um, have hard boundaries when I started dating again and I've met a wonderful man um who's um who's never once tried to insert himself in any situation he's never tried to insert himself in my kid's life he's never tried to insert himself between me and my kid's mom he's waited for invitation only and I can't tell you how peaceful that is after going through what I've gone through and it's just it's allowed me to see myself with value and see myself with worth probably for the first time ever. And I think that's what I always try to tell people is that you have a choice after you leave a relationship like this, whether you leave or you got left, you have a choice. It can either define you or it can redirect you. Mm. And I'm just so glad that I chose to allow it to redirect me and be the catalyst to reclaim my life in every aspect. I, I could never imagine that I would be on podcasts or on YouTubes or doing live meet and greets and all this stuff. You know, I, I, you, you couldn't have told me that back then, but with 
that I've always known I was supposed to be a person of influence, but I, I had to get to the point where I could own my own story enough that I don't care what anybody else has to say about me. I know my truth. And if I'm going to be a villain in your story, then then I will play that because I know my truth. And and that goes for his story, but it also goes for the people that villainize me for what I did to my kid's mom. Like there are people that will never look at me the same because in their mind, I did this on purpose. I know I didn't. I know how hard I tried, but I had to be okay with me before I could be a person of influence. And I never thought it would be on social media. I thought I would get I don't even know what I thought it was, but (laughs) I wanted to ask you. So, I mean, well, before I get to that, though, so I just want you to know, like being the the personality that I have, I'm very um, like I, I like to see all angles and I like to put myself in other people's shoes and I can see how you feel. I can see how your ex wife feels. Um, I really hope that your new boyfriend's there for you. And like, you know, mm-hmm. he, he must be, you know, cause you have this social media platform and stuff, but can you talk about that a little bit? How did you get into this influencing role? You know, I say it was by accident, but obviously nothing ever happened by accident. Um, I just was on TikTok and, um, I just had had this idea. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the kid movie. It's a cartoon. It's called Inside Out. And it's about all the different. Oh, man, that made me ball, dude. (laughs) It's such a good movie. But I had I had seen this movie and it made me think about I wonder what goes on in the mind of a narcissist. And so it sparked this idea. And it was my very first series I've ever done. Um, And it's called The Mind of a Narcissist. And it's got like supply closet and gaslighting and, you know, uh, supply closets, my favorite character to play. And then it's got like true colors and like all these different terms you know that we use but they're characters and oh, it's about them to me? i want to see it oh yeah i have a whole playlist on my tiktok on it it was the very first series i ever yeah, did and i me. i posted it and it blew up and you know i had never had anything get over like i would post like random stuff on tiktok it was all for fun never got anything over maybe 500 views and then i posted this one and for me it was a blow up it got like 60,000 views and i like freaked out i was like oh my god but it just made me discover how many people have gone through this and so i was like wow there's 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 a community here and it just started to develop over time and then someone messaged me actually like several people messaged me hey if you ever start doing coaching calls like please let me know i would love to work with you and i'm like what's a coaching call you know so like i mean i knew nothing so i you know learned how to be a coach and like i said it was going through grad school and now what i'm seeing is that you know i'm i'm getting my doctorate in occupational therapy and and now i'm actually seeing how big occupational therapists are in the mental health world and it's weird it's like it's like i'm almost i've almost these two worlds are starting to blend together and I'm seeing that for the first time because when it, it started to go, I was just like, I'm going to keep doing this until I feel like God's released me from it. And instead of feeling like I'm getting closer to being released from it, I feel like it's just getting bigger. Um, and it's just making more of an impact. And I've made some incredible friends doing this and, yeah. um, you know, it's just, it's happened very naturally, very organically. It's not been forced. It's just, it's just it's just gone yeah it's just kind of snowballed (laughs) dude well like i said like i've been following your content for a while and and you know like the way you do it is just it feels like i know you and it's funny because you know we talked before off air before we got on this podcast but like you know the other day when i was talking to you i just feel like 
you know, you, it's funny. You're almost like these people in the narc community that I watch your videos all the time. Like I don't show my face, but like you're almost like my little personal celebrity. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I see you guys. I'm like, fuck, this guy's on my screen now. This is pretty cool. But, <laughs> yeah, dude. Like, and I could totally relate to that too because. You know, like, I, I just remember so many nights of laying in my bed, seeing her next to me. She's asleep. We have all this tur- turmoil in the house. She's fast asleep. Doesn't affect her at all. Mm-hmm. I can't sleep till three o'clock in the morning. I'm staring yeah. at the ceiling, just going, what the hell? Like, how do I fix this? What would my life be like getting out of it? And like, you know, when I finally did get out of it and I started this podcast, I was like, who the hell is going to listen? And then just this week, I passed 20,000 listens to this podcast. Yeah. People have heard these, these stories 20,000 times. Yeah. Like, and who it's the crazy. hell am I? It's just, it's just really cool the way it happens organically. And truly, like, you know, like how you were telling before, like how you found out he was cheating. You're like, oh, well, I don't know if anybody has this story, right? I really felt like nobody has my story. Nobody gets me. Nobody understands me. And I know that there's something wrong with her. I don't know what it is. I'm not a doctor. I don't know. But there's something medically wrong with her. And I'll never figure it out. And once yeah. I figured it out, all bets are off. And now, thank God, I, I snuck out the back door. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So. <laughs> anyway, well, Trey, we're coming to the end of the hour. Is there anything you want to share with us? Anything, uh, you know, maybe you want people to concentrate on their healing or anything you want to do to resolve your story? What are your final thoughts? I think um, I always just like to tell people, you know, when you see when you see creators like myself or like you and, you know, these other huge creators like that have survived something like this, I, I, I want people to understand that there's nothing inherently unique about me. You know, I'm not going to speak for everybody, but I know for me, there's nothing inherently unique about me that got me to where I'm at. Like, all it took was me just making a decision that I was not going to let this one human being who was never on my level to begin with completely define my destiny and rob me from my purpose. And it was just this this tenacious desire of of reaching, not even, like, honestly, at the time, it wasn't even reaching healing. It was just reaching to feel normal again. Little did I know I would never feel, quote, unquote, normal again, because my definition of normal has changed. But, you know, it's it's that journey that I decided to take that nobody was going to be able to alter for me, you know, and and I just, you know, I spoke at a at a meet and greet last month and someone asked about, you know, what do you do about this desire for justice? You know, cause there's so much injustice that's involved in this. And I, and I, I told her, I was like, do what you need to do legally. If you have legal options, go for that, but understand that your redemption is your justice. You deciding to take your life back is your ultimate justice. Do what you need to do legally, but your ultimate true justice, you're never going to find from anything to do with them. It's about your own redemption. Yeah. And and you know what? <clears throat> the best revenge against a narcissist is your massive success. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, Trey. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Um, One more time, if you guys want to follow him on Instagram and on TikTok, his handle is I was like yo underscore Trey one. So it's I W A S L I K E Y O underscore T R E one. 
Um, so he's on Instagram and on TikTok. And then also he has a course that's called Breaking Free from Rumination and How to Reclaim Peace and Clarity After Narcissistic Abuse. So you can find that at Trey Delatore. That's D-E-L-A-T-O-R-R-E at Podia.com. And then he also has a book on Amazon that's called The Wellness Wheel Journey, A Journey to a Balanced You. And all of his resources can be found on his link in his bio on all his platforms. Um, Trey. Thank you so much, dude. I really appreciate you doing this. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. All right. Until next time, everybody.